psalm many times over the years. And uh, I will say that sometimes uh, we may not have any any new truth from Scripture that we are preaching, but maybe by way of remembrance, uh, sometimes we need to have our minds stirred up. And uh, I want to share some thoughts today from Psalm 1. I've, uh, in recent weeks, and I guess maybe several months, uh, God has done a work in, in my heart on some things regarding um, the condition, the spiritual condition of our nation. And um, the, the urgency that there is, the need that there is in the day that we live for Christians to uh, fan the flames, I guess would be a good word. Uh, to set their hearts on fire and to um, have their faith renewed and strengthened, their service, uh, I think, to be rededicated and redoubled the efforts, the diligence that's given uh, to, uh, I think we certainly need to give great diligence to uh, the, the work that God has given us to do here on earth. I'm thankful that our purpose is to glorify Him. I, I love glorifying God. I love talking about Him and how good He is. And, and I love those kind of preachings and, and services. There are times I love after, after I've gone through messages like that. Sometimes I've left and my heart has been almost in heaven, it felt like, uh, because we've reflected upon the goodness of God. And there are times that we certainly need those things to encourage us along the way. There are sometimes we need to be reminded, though, that uh, there, are, there is a, a spiritual battle that's going on. There are times that we need to rise up. We need to strengthen our hands to do the work. And uh, I, I love reading, as I uh, do oftentimes in Nehemiah. He's one of my favorite characters in Scripture. And um, really enjoy reading as he leads the people. The Bible says, and Nehemiah spoke of this, that when he, he talked to the people about the work that needed to be done, he, he talked about the fact that the people had a mind to work. They, they, their desire was to rise up and work. And they strengthened themselves for the work. And uh, they, they purposed in their minds and their hearts, and they, they gave themselves to the task at hand. And I think if anything could be said about maybe the direction that my heart has gone the last several months, and God, I think, is really working on it, uh, has been that we redouble our efforts, that we strengthen our hands for the work, uh, and then do the work, and uh, do, do something that will make a difference in the world that we live in. Uh, we have a lot of uh, powerless, if you will, I guess would be the way to word it, a lot of powerless um, service for the Lord. I, I worry about this often. I, I say worry. There's, there's concern for it often. Um, because one of the things I find when Christ gave the disciples the Great Commission, uh, He said, But tarry ye in Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. And I've often asked the question, Are we out of God's will doing God's work God's way with His message? but without His power. There was a day uh, not too long ago in history where men of God uh, were used mightily of the Lord. And I understand and I know that there uh, is nothing, there's no, there's no secret formula or plan. I do know that oftentimes God ties His moving and His working to our praying. But there is no secret formula or plan where we say if we do A, B, and C that God will send great sweeping revival. I like what one fellow said years ago, and I've quoted him many times, where 
He made the comment, he said, all we can do is set our sails to catch the wind of the Holy Spirit should he choose to blow upon him. And by saying that, what he was saying is to make sure that we're ready for that, that there is nothing in our life that would be a hindrance to the Holy Spirit doing uh, what His bidding is, what His will is in this world. If He should choose in these, in these latter days, what I believe to be the last days, if He should choose to use a group of His people to, uh, with great power of the Holy Spirit to do a work and to reach the hearts of men, I want to make sure there's nothing in my life that would hinder Him from doing so. And we've spent some time the last several weeks dealing with, and even on Wednesday night, this past Wednesday night, dealing with some of the corruption in our world that we're living in today. And I think there's a need, there's a great need of God's people to be able to be in a place of having God do a mighty work through us. We're called to be a light to this world. We are given the opportunity and the privilege to take the most precious gift that the Lord Jesus Christ has. And He's entrusted it in our hands. He's given it to us to take and to share with the lost world, to bring light into the darkness. And um, we are so often failing, I think, in these areas. Not only in the aspect that we're not putting forth the labor, but even in our own lives, we are becoming so spotted by the world in the day that we live. Um, I made mention, I think it was last week, to a book that a number of years ago I had had the opportunity to read called Rushing Toward Gomorrah, I think was the title of it. And uh, in it, he, he spoke. the author spoke of uh, the defining deviance down and, and how there's a, 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 a tendency, a, a digression, if you will, of uh, the moral center of man. And when you don't have a moral uh, absolute, when you don't have a, a foundation of morals, then you're prone to drift. Um, I remember years ago, years ago, uh, I grew up in Florida, and I went out on the, a boat with a fellow. We were out fishing one time, a fellow in our church that loved to fish. And uh, we were in what's called the Intercoastal Waterway. And um, there's a pretty strong current. I, I remember as a kid uh, swimming in there, and uh, if, I, if I was on a boat and went swimming in it, I'd have to tie a rope to the boat. Uh, because the current would pull me away from it if I wanted to get in the water and swim, and, and I'd have to hold on to that or tie it around my waist. I remember going fishing one time with a fella, and there was another guy that we were, we were trying to find. A, down there, snook is a, is a delicious fish that we love to, uh, to fish for down there. You have to have a special tag license for them. They're, they're uh, delicious fish and, and just a great thing. We went out to go catch some of these, and he knew where all the, the pockets were, the little holes were where they're at, and we were trying to find a good place, and there were a number of other boats out there. And I remember thinking as we uh, stopped the engine, we threw our lines out, and we were uh, kind of watching the other boats around us, seeing what they were bringing up. And uh, we were not really drifting any closer to any of those boats. They all seemed to be pretty much staying in the same place. But every once in a while, this fellow would crank up the boat and move us again. And I'd say, are we going to a new hole? He said, no, we just need to get back to the one we were at. The reason was it appeared that we were stationary because we were looking at everything that was around us. But the truth is the current had pushed us off of the area that we needed to be at. And if we're not careful in the world that we live in, we will do the same thing. We'll keep our eyes focused on the the world and we'll say, okay, we're a distance from them. There doesn't seem to be any movement. And yet the truth is often there is. And... Uh, I, I, I know that there is a need 
for our hearts to be stirred up by way of remembrance in these things. Because we are so prone, uh, the songwriter wrote it years ago, prone to wander. Uh, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the one I love. Um, and so we need to be concerned about these things. I want to share some truths from Psalm 1 by way of just reminding us and encouraging us in some things. Um, I don't know that it's a new truth, but something I think we need to fasten our gaze on in these days that we live in. Psalm 1 says, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in this law, in His law doth He meditate day and night. Father, we pray that You'll bless the message and speak to hearts. And Lord, I don't believe it's any extraordinary new truth or new uh, revelation to us from Your Word that, uh, that we've not seen before, but Lord, certainly something that we need to be reminded of in the day that we live. And I pray that Your Holy Spirit will strengthen our faith, strengthen our boldness and our, <coughs> our courage to do what is right, Lord, may You develop and strengthen our character, that we would be a people that are steadfast and unmovable, that we will anchor ourselves to Your Word, to long to do as much as we can to live according to it in every aspect, to bring our minds and our bodies, our lifestyles into subjection, into captivity of Your Word. And Father, may we learn to abide by it and to do so joyfully. Uh, Lord, these things are not grievous to us. They ought to be the joy of our hearts. But yet I pray that You would help us to have the willingness to be sensitive to the teaching of Your Word and the conviction of Your Holy Spirit in our lives. And so, Father, help us this afternoon, we pray. In Jesus' name, Amen. We find as the psalmist speaks here, he's got three different people that he speaks of in verse number 1. And he starts off by mentioning that there are uh, people that are considered ungodly, Then he says that there are some that are considered to be sinners, and then there are some that are considered to be scornful. Now, he's not speaking of particular individuals here as much as categorizing the character uh, of these individuals. And he begins by, I think, what would be considered the first step. And that would be the step of ungodliness. Um, There's The Bible talks about the fact that there are, uh, will come a day where people will uh, will know the uh, the idea of godliness. Uh, they'll understand it, but they'll deny the power of it. They won't live in it. They'll just have a head knowledge of it. And there won't be an observance of it. There won't be a taking heed to God's Word. Uh, they'll have a form of godliness, and they'll maybe conform on the outside. But the truth is, their hearts are dirty. They're spotted. They're wicked in the inside. And the first step, I think, that we see here is to uh, develop this attitude or mindset of ungodliness, just things that uh, do not bring glory to God and do not are not Christ-honoring. The years ago, the uh, critics of those that followed Christ uh, came up with a name for them. They called them Christians. They meant it as a derogatory mark. Uh, they were ridiculing them by saying so, and yet it was probably the highest badge of honor they could have ever gotten. Because what they were saying is, you remind us of Christ. You're a little Christ. You're, a, you're, you're, someone, you're, you're a Christ one. You follow after His teachings. And we oftentimes go around and tell people, well, I'm a Christian. But the truth is, that is not a name that we are 
have the privilege to, or the authority even to give ourselves. The name Christian ought to be something that someone else says about us. Because the truth is, we, our hearts are deceitful. We cannot tell in our own hearts. There may be a form of godliness that we follow after, but the truth is sometimes there are times we uh, are certainly not in the power of godliness or the Holy Spirit's leading in our lives. We find that after that first step, if it's not dealt with, that there's a, another type of person spoken of here called a sinner. I heard one fellow mention it this way. <clears throat> he said, it begins by just kind of being curious, seeing people that are uh, in the world and living the way of the world and the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life, and they're living their life and uh, oblivious to the things of the Lord. They um, seem on the outside to have fun. And I don't know if you've ever noticed this or not, but if you watch uh, any kind of advertisement for things that we would look at and say are immoral according to God's Word, you look at some of the advertisements, and they're not going to show it as uh, the, the, the consequences of that lifestyle. They're going to show you uh, the pleasure of that lifestyle. And Satan's really shrewd in this area. He, he entices with the pleasures of sin. But understand this, that those are only for a season. Uh, then come the consequences of sin. And those are not nearly as enjoyable as the pleasures of sin. But you don't have the choice in it. Once the sin is there, the consequences are coming. And so there is an ungodliness that takes place. And if the curiosity that is raised in the enticement, the, uh, the dangling of the appearance of pleasure by Satan in front of the eyes of, of Christians oftentimes will cause us to be inquisitive and will begin to, to, to lend an ear to or lend an eye to. Uh, watching these people of the world. We're interested. And we're not participating in what they're doing. I don't know that at this point you would say, okay, uh, we've committed sin, uh, but there should not even be that interest in it. And uh, we begin to say, well, you know, it may not be that bad. Uh, there are things that Christians do today openly and without any conscience at all that when I was a kid were considered wrong. They were, they were things that you just didn't do as a Christian. Uh, we looked at them and we said, this is a standard that ought to be in place in our life. And, and now we, we have people that do this all the time uh, and without conscience. Why? Because they've kept their eyes on the world. And while it seems that they have not moved, they have. They began by being inquisitive. I... I don't, you'll have to forgive me on this. I don't like Christian people trying to emulate Hollywood by coming out with quote unquote Christian movies. Why are we trying to use their tactics to accomplish God's work? Why are we trying to go about trying to be like them so that we can have good entertainment? And forgive me for that. I I just, uh, I, I don't see that. As God's people, then we need to just come out and say, listen, I want to, I want to stay as far away from those things as I can. I, I, want, to, I want to make sure that, that I'm not involving myself in Because we get the curiosity, we begin to give an ear to and an eye to, and the next thing you know, we're beginning to do it. Now, we're careful about it. We don't want other Christians really to know yet that we're involved in this. And so we do sin in secret. 
We begin to participate in the things of the world, but we do it with a, a glance over our shoulder to make sure no one's watching. And by the way, God's always watching. If we ever think we can get by with something just simply because no one saw us, we need to understand this. It's not long before we fall into this group that the psalmist classifies here by character by saying they're sinners. If that continues unchecked in our hearts and in our lives, there's a third type of a person. The psalmist refers to him here as a scorner. It's interesting that the Bible says that we're to turn out a scorner. The reason being, a scorner is one that commits the sin and has no conscience about it. He doesn't care. A high-handed sin, a, a, a rebellious sin against God. And you say, well, I would never get there. It begins with a glance, with an interest, with a, let me see what they're doing. It's, that's where it starts. And can I say this? Years ago, somebody made this statement. I don't know who made it, but it's a true statement. Sin will take you further than you want to go. <coughs> it'll keep you there longer than you want to stay, and it'll cost you more than you want to pay. Nobody ever starts down this road expecting to end up a scorner. They just, they just want a little, little freedom, a little elbow room. And the next thing you know, they're in the seat of the scornful. It's interesting to me, in Hebrews chapter number 12, the Bible says in verse number 1, Wherefore, saying, We also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight. And the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us... What's the next phrase here? Run the race that is set before us. Paul puts this idea to the Christian. When, when it comes to living the Christian life... Uh, uh, let, me, let me stop for a minute, okay? Uh, I, uh, I weigh 300 million business pounds, and from time to time I've tried to lose weight. There have been few times I have committed myself, I'm going to start exercising. Now, I do not like exercise equipment. I don't, I, my theory on exercise equipment is that if you had the character to use it, you wouldn't need it. Um, I, I went and picked up a, a treadmill the other day. I told the people when I picked it up, I said, it's the most expensive clothes hanger I've ever bought. Um, I, I, do, I, do, I do sit-ups. I, I do one a day. In the morning I sit up, and at night I lay back down. And, and I'm not trying to be funny. Don't miss the point here. Don't miss the point. I have gone numerous times and made commitments. I'm going to go to West City Park. And I, I get out there and I start walking. And about 100 yards later, I'm huffing and puffing the first few days I'm out there. I'm struggling. And I watch some of these people. They're like gazelles. They go out there and jog. And they, they're sweating, but they seem like comfortable in their and their stride, and they're going around the, going around the thing. Now, I want to I encourage us in this, because I'll say this, that person may be making far better progress than I am, but there's no effort involved. When I go and I struggle through, I've got to have my oxygen tank, it feels like, and I'm, I'm pushing myself and making the effort... I want us to understand this truth. It's not about how far we go in the Christian life. It's about how hard we're pressing. God will take care of the increase. 
the effort of the Christian is that we pursue the, the Christian life. Paul uses terminology oftentimes from the athletic realm of things. Uh, races. He speaks of running the race and laying aside the weight. He talks in Philippians about pressing toward the mark, uh, stretching and uh, reaching for the, the finish tape. And over and over again, he talks about striving. We, we were dealing with that in Philippians 2 today, uh, about striving together for the faith of the gospel. And, and the idea that as the Christian life, there is to be, a, there is to be a, a, an effort involved. There is to be a straining at the harness. There is to be a, a pressing toward the mark. He uses the phrase in Hebrews chapter 12 of running the race. And then we get to Psalm 1. And we find that when you begin down this path, that you go from running the race to what? What's the first thing he talks about here? He says, blessed is the man that what? We're not supposed to be walking. We're supposed to be running, aren't we? We're not supposed to be taking our ease and just jogging along like the gazelle, and maybe he's making a lot of distance, but boy, he sure isn't putting the effort in. Our hearts ought to be bent. You say, well, I can't do as much as somebody else in the Christian life. Where's your heart? The difference is, are we diligent? Are we pressing towards this mark? Are we, are we striving to grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ? Are we trying to have a life that is salt and light in this world? Are we making that effort? You say, well, I'll never be a, a preacher that pastors a church of thousands of people. Well, be a light where you're at. Press where you're at. Do the work where you're at. Live a life that is holy where you're at. This blessed man, it says, is a man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. And again, if it's gone unchecked, what's the next thing that takes place? We go from walking to what? Standing. We're not supposed to be standing as Christians. Oh, we stand on the Word of God, but we're to be running the race. We're not supposed to be stationary. I know, I know a lot of people who, uh, as they get up in years and they get in the church, they talk about what they used to do for the Lord. Well, do something. Press toward the mark. Our world is our world is slipping. Somebody needs to grab the end of the tug of war rope uh, and, and tie a knot around it, wrap it around their waist, and dig their heels in and say, "Not on my watch." We've got to hold to these truths. We've got to raise the standard of God's word, and there needs to be some diligence in it. There needs to be a pressing for the mark. There needs to be a running of the race, not a standing. If that goes unchecked. We find that they sit down with no purpose of ever continuing their run. They're at rest now. They're, they're content. They're, they're going to stay right where they're at, and nobody's going to get them to move. Not the Word of God, not the Holy Spirit of God, nobody. Not a fellow brother or sister in Christ that comes along and tries to edify them. They're unmovable at that point. Why? Because they've allowed themselves to drift. And here's the sad thing. There are Christians that end up sitting in the seat of the scornful and didn't even realize they were drifting in the first place. Oh, how we've got to be so careful of this. You say, well, is there a solution to it? Yes, there is. Is there a way to keep this from happening? Yes. And the psalmist gives it to us. In verse 2, he says this, but his delight. Now, we're speaking of the man that's keeping himself from the counsel of the ungodly. 
the way of sinners, the seed of the scornful. This man delights in the law of the Lord. You say, how do I keep from drifting? This book has to become paramount in our life. This book needs to be the thing that we love, that we cherish, and gladly and with wonderful joy are saying, Lord, I'm willing to do what it says. It's got, it's got to become our anchor. It's got to become the rock that we stand on. He doesn't say here that the blessed man is the man who reads the Bible day and night. But what does it say here in verse number 2? It says, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. Now, now let me just stop there for a moment. <clears throat> when I was growing up, I grew up in a pastor's home. And uh, my mom would oftentimes, especially in the summertime, because she, you know, I was hyperactive and she had to keep me out of her hair, I think. But uh, oftentimes she'd put the, uh, the chore chart on my door or on the refrigerator. Y'all remember those? The chore charts. You know, had your name and then a list of about 95 chores that was going to take you four weeks to get done. She wanted them all done the first few hours of the morning. And uh, you got to check them off when you were done. If you were like me, you went and did the ones that were real easy and you checked those off real quick. Make you feel like you made some good progress. But one of those was have your devotions. I remember as a kid going to my room, taking my Bible out, and reading, but not enjoying it. I was doing it because I needed to put a check on a box on the refrigerator. I'm not opposed to reading plans. I think they are helpful in keeping us on target to continue to read through Scripture. But if we're careful, not careful we will get in the habit of just filling out our reading plan in Scripture. This is not what the psalmist is speaking of here. In fact, he doesn't even deal with the issue of reading Scripture here, does he? If you look at it, it really isn't talking about, did you read long enough? Did you read enough chapters? Did you read enough verses? That's not at all what he's dealing with here. What he's dealing with is, does this book bring delight to me? When I read it, do I look at it and go, wow, wow, that's something. Isn't that amazing? i got to call somebody and tell them about this. I just found this. Let me share it with you. Or we come to church. Boy, you wouldn't believe what I found in the Bible this week. I, I, I'll tell you, I, one of the most pressing things, and this was back uh, sometimes when... I was going through some very dark times and, and some issues and problems we were going through in ministry uh, down in Florida. And I'll be real frank with you. There were some days that were dark days that I read my Bible, and it didn't seem like I got hardly anything out of it. You ever been there before? It just didn't seem to, to jump out at you and do much. And I remember a preacher coming into town one day took me out to lunch. And we went out to the restaurant, and we were getting ready to sit down at the table. And just as I slid into the booth, I mean, I, I wasn't even hardly sitting still. He says, the preacher... What has God given you from His Word lately? Well, that puts you on the spot, won't it? I was grateful that God had given me some things that week out of His Word. But there were some weeks I'm not real proud of where I didn't feel like I got much out of it. And it was because I was doing what I knew I was supposed to do, but I wasn't delighting in it. I was going through some things that were so dark and so hard on my life that, to be real honest with you, it was really hard to try to delight in God's Word. 
You know what the psalmist is talking about here? If we're going to keep from walking in the counsel of the ungodly, if we're going to keep from standing in the way of sinners or sitting in the seat of the scornful, there has to be a delight in this book. I th- it's almost like God knew, didn't He? <laughs> it's almost like He knows this stuff before it's going to happen. And maybe that's probably because He does. It's almost like He knew there was going to come a time where I was going to be drifting along with the world and thinking that I was being steadfast. Not even realizing I was drifting. It, it almost seems like He was giving us a solution to the problem before we ever even knew there was the problem. And that was this, to have a delight for His Word. Do we delight in it? Is reading the Bible a chore for us? Or do we love it? There are some things I enjoy in this life. I enjoy spending time with my kids, and apparently spending money, because I do a lot of that too. I love my kids. I enjoy spending time with them. I delight in that. There are some hobbies and things I enjoy doing. I enjoy shooting guns. I enjoy flying airplanes. I enjoy working with my hands and fixing things and building things. I would say this. I delight in those things. They're things I look forward to doing. I delight in spending time with people that I love and care about and are good friends of mine. I enjoy the fellowship. If I'm not careful, I will allow certain things in my life to be more of a delight to me than this book is. And that should not be the case. What he does deal with here in verse number 2 is not how much we read, but our attitude towards this book. He says this, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And then he gives the result or the fruit, if you will, of the delight. And this is how we can measure, okay? The Bible is always our measurement of how we're measuring up, isn't it? It always gives us the thing that we can measure ourselves against to say, how are we doing? And if I want to know how I'm doing in delighting in this book, all I have to do is look at the rest of the verse. And in His law doth He what? Meditate. (laughs) doesn't mean you're reading it, but your mind is always on it. You're thinking about it. Even when you're not reading it, the the truths of it are, are doing a work in you. They're on your mind. Can I say this? There was a day when life was not nearly as complicated as it is today. And back in the 1700s and 1800s, when people lived and worked on farms, they would have one task in front of them. They were plowing the field or they were milking the cows. And they had silence and they didn't have all this turmoil of things that go on today in our world bombarding their senses. And they had time to think. And they had time to pray, and I would say this, they had time to meditate. Not so today. We're living in a day that the world and Satan has found a tactic of so getting Christians to be so busy and entangled with things of this world. And I'm not even talking about sinful things. 
but just being so busy that our minds are always engaged in something other than Scripture. And because of that, my delight for this book, it wanes. And when my delight for this book wanes, guess what? My feet begin to slip and I begin to drift. Why? Because my delight is not what it should be. You want to know how your delight is? You want to, you want to know? A, you want to, you want to pull the spiritual measuring tape out? How often do we meditate on this book? The psalmist said this: "This blessed man, the man that that doesn't slip, the man that doesn't go after the ungodly, that doesn't go after the sinners, that doesn't try to be in the in the seat of the scornful, that man." He delights in it so much that he can't help but think about it. You could say it this way. His mind is saturated with God's Word. By the way, if we could ever get to that point, it would take care of a lot of the problems we have with our life. Well, Pastor, I really have a hard time getting victory in my life in this area. Then saturate your mind with God's Word. Memorize it. Study it. Read it. Cherish it. Let's use this word. Delight in it. Love it. Cherish it. Somebody said years ago, this book will keep you from sin or sin will keep you from this book. And there's, there's a lot of truth to that. Even this book will tell you that. I don't know about you, but I want to run the race. I, I want to get to the end of my life and I want to be able to say like Paul, I have run my race. I have finished my course, and I have kept the faith. And was Paul perfect? No. He'd be the first one to tell you he was the chiefest of sinners. But he knew how to run. He knew how to remain unspotted from the world. He knew how to anchor himself and not drift. And folks, we're living in a day, and I've preached the last several weeks on the condition of our world and where we're at. Today's message is how we accomplish it. How am I going to keep from drifting? How am I going to make a difference? How am I going to be salt in this world? How am I going to be light in the darkness? It's got to begin with a delight. Not just reading. Not just marking off our reading schedule. Not just setting our five or ten or... 30 minutes of time with God. But to get to a point in our hearts where I delight in this book. You say, how will I know when I'm there? When you begin meditating in it day and night. When you wake up in the morning, you think about it. When you go through your work day, you think about it. When you come home at lunchtime, you think about it. When you come home to your family, you think about it. When you're eating supper, you're thinking about it. And as you get ready for bed and as you drift off to sleep, you're thinking about it. You go to sleep and you wake up in the middle of the night and you're thinking about it. That's when you know you delight in it. And if we're not there yet, then we need to say, Lord, help me delight in Your Word. Help me to love it. Help me to cherish it. Help me to have that kind of a heart for it. I don't want to walk. Or stand or sit. Not around the ungodly or the sinners or the scornful. But I want to run the race with patience.
I want to press toward the mark. Oh, that we would have our hearts stirred again. Well, I used to do this, Pastor. Why not now? Why not now? Let's delight in His Word. Shall we? Let's stand together. Father, we do pray that You'll bless the teaching of Your Word this afternoon, the preaching of it. Lord, I'm thankful that You've given it to us. It helps us in so many ways. It doesn't just tell us what we ought to do. It even tells us how to measure and know when we're succeeding at it or when we're failing. Lord, far too often we look into Your Word and we see what manner of men and women we are.